Hey, welcome back or welcome to the Single Track Podcast. I apologize for the hiatus too. Um, normally this show is on a weekly cadence, but I spent the last week of August in Chamonix, France, soaking in the experience of what seemed like, honest to God, the entire world of trail running, coming together and racing uh, events like CCC and UTMB and OCC and TDS. Um, it was magical. And uh, I'm back, but I, I always think I've somehow beaten jet lag. And uh, there's a lot of it on this trip, but it typically rears its ugly head about two days post-travel. And it has, I admit, taken some time to recover, but I feel like I'm uh, finally almost there, um, at least with enough energy to do this podcast thing. So yeah, um, and I think what sparked today's episode, honestly, I was listening to Corinne Malcolm earlier today on the Pillars podcast while she was doing a recap of her own UTMB experience. And I thought she described the impression the week had on a lot of athletes perfectly, how it validated so much about why we love this sport how it left you wanting to take this whole thing more seriously, to go even further in, to do more. Um, amen. I'll just say that for now. Uh, I am fired up, as I've said before, to be a part of this community and to, con uh, to continue contributing any which way I can. I've said that before, Shamani. I'm saying it with even greater fire and intensity now. So hold me to that. Anyway, back to the podcast. Uh, today's conversation is one that I have been anxious to have for months. Our guest is Jimmy Daly. Now, you may not be familiar, but he is one of our own. Based in Vail, Colorado, Jimmy is a two-time finisher of the Leadville 100. He is also the founder of Superpath, which is an online community explicitly designed for content marketers to get better at their craft, to network, to grow their careers. And his perspective is really right at the crossroads of ultra running, content creation, and entrepreneurship, which couldn't be a better fit for the mission of this show. In this conversation, we cover how pro trail runners currently handle their social media obligations and what can be improved and how they can measure uh, their ROI to the brands they work with. We uh, talk about how brands can reciprocate in this relationship and better support their content creation efforts. We riff on a constant theme in this podcast, which is of course, how to grow the sport of mountain ultra trail running. And Jimmy has some interesting takes there. And finally, we have a ton of fun going back and forth on some business ideas that we'd like to see take shape in our sport. This was such a fun conversation. I truly think you're going to love it. So without further ado, let's dive in. Jimmy Daly, Single Track Podcast, episode number three. Jimmy Daly, welcome to the Single Track Podcast. Yeah, man, Finn, so good to see you, man. Well, I want to get right into it because this is a conversation that I've been looking forward to for quite some time. And I want to get into it by offering a perspective that I think a lot of athletes in our sport share that want to make a living off of it in some capacity. So I know a lot of people, they're really talented runners, they're really interesting people. They got a lot of cool takes on the sport, a lot of value to provide. Um, and brands take notice and they want to get involved with them. They want to work together. And when they realize kind of what's entailed, like how they're essentially a marketing extension for that brand, they, they kind of get sad. And um, all of the work they have to do on social media doesn't feel authentic, et cetera. 
And I want to address that here. So like, how do you think pro athletes and just anybody that's an influencer in our sport should think about content creation and doing social media um, on behalf of all of these brands that we know and love? Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. It's, so it's kind of a big question and I, I'm sort of coming at this from a, the perspective, not, I mean, as, as someone who loves trail running and participates in it and all that stuff, but like my, my world, my expertise is in the, in the really like the B2B content world. Mm. And we're seeing a trend happening over in our world, which I think is there, there's sort of a parallel thing happening in the, in the trail and ultra world too, where, um, uh, like the creator economy has popped up over the last couple of years. And like, I would say I sort of loosely participate in the creator economy myself where like, instead of running, like my skill is writing. And so I started thinking about like, how do I make a living doing this in ways other than being employed by a large company, you know? And the answer for me was kind of like, you know, like a scrappy collection of various revenue streams that together are actually pretty good, but it's very entrepreneurial. There's no real path to follow, you know? And I say there's a parallel in the trail and ultra world because I, I, I'm seeing I'm seeing folks sort of pick up on this where like they kind of want to forge their own path, uh, build their own audiences, not necessarily rely so heavily on just getting a check from a sponsor, which mm. could disappear at any time, mm. you know? Uh, so like folks like Dylan Bowman building out his app and membership. He's doing a ton of content creation, obviously. Um, I don't know if you follow Kyle Merber, like a, he's a, a retired uh, track athlete who launched his own newsletter, which I think is pretty fascinating. Okay. Um, and there's, there's, there's plenty of examples of things like this that are, are popping up where athletes are basically saying like, my performance window is fairly short. Like what else can I be building now while people are paying attention that could sort of benefit me for the long term? Mm. you know? Um, and, the interesting thing uh, that I've been following closely, like over in our kind of writing and business world is that there's tools popping up that make it really easy to do this. And like, that's actually really important. Like you can just spin up a newsletter in two seconds and offer a paid version in half an hour, you know, versus like all of the steps that would have been required even just two or three years ago uh, to make that happen would have been really kind of cumbersome and difficult. So you're, this is interesting. So you're essentially saying, at this point in time, with all of these resources available in the creator economy, you don't even have to play the game of sponsorship anymore. You can, instead of having to sort of rent an audience from the North Face or Hoka, you can essentially go and build your own audience and and be your own person and kind of put out content that you feel good about that's authentic, that's bringing value to the community, but not like doing that sort of like naked selling that feels so uncomfortable. Yes. I think it's an opportunity. And I think it can work for a lot of athletes, like for the same reasons that the current sponsor model doesn't work for every athlete, that like those things will be true in this world as well. I just think there's sort of greater opportunity for athletes to gain leverage by building their own audiences. The, the problem is like, you think about runners, like who, who is the, who is the type of person that um, uh, is inclined to be a great runner? Like they might be an introvert. You know what I mean? Like they might not be the person that wants to post on Instagram a lot or share a lot about their personal life. And like, it, it's sort of a shame that like the current model we have, like sort of forces that on people, you know, like they're sort of forced to build these kind of fake personal brands, which may not feel very good to them. And then like to the audience on the other side, like, I don't know, you know, we're also inundated with like everybody, you know, just sort of the social media phenomenon of like everyone is somehow on vacation and not working and 
doing something cool all the time. Like it's kind of, to me, it feels like a lose-lose situation. This creator economy path doesn't exactly fix that, but I think it, it at least gives people more options, you know, so that like they don't, if, if you're sort of more in control of the way that you earn income, uh, you can make more thoughtful decisions about how you share what you share. Um, do you charge people for it? you know, or do you put it out for free and then bring sponsors in to, to help monetize content, monetize content versus monetizing you. You know what I mean? It's flex, more flexible. It also puts the onus on the athlete though, to essentially be an entrepreneur. Gotcha. Yeah, no. And, and which is a whole entire thread in of itself, like from a tactical standpoint and in terms of like the types of content that we could see alternate to what's already out there. Like, what do you, what what's some more content that you'd want to see put out into the world um, from some of these athletes? Like you've talked in the past about like training logs and longer form content. Like what, what does this look like for like the introvert, for introvert, for example? Yeah. Yeah. I want to like go backwards. I want to go backwards in time to like, um, I don't know, you might be too young for this, but like back in the day, Anton Kupichka was writing a long form blog on like a blog spot account. Yeah. You know, this is like way before ultra runners were, influencers and Instagram wasn't even invented. And, um, I assume he had sponsors. I don't know if he ever monetized that content, but like, it was awesome. It was just so cool to like learn about his training. Like this was all sort of new back then, you know, there wasn't like a glut of information like there is now. Um, and like there were, there's other examples of that kind of thing. I just, but the thing that I, that I loved about it was that it was long form. It wasn't showy, right? Like the, um, the platform that you use so often like informs how you use it, right? So like if you're using Instagram, you're posting pictures of the most beautiful trail and like you smiling or you hanging out with all your great looking friends or whatever, you know, whereas like the the medium of like a long form written piece is just sort of puts you in a different mindset. You're sort of prepared to be more thoughtful to like share some of like the, the details that aren't so pretty and like kind of take people on a journey that has ups and downs versus the Instagram journey, which is like kind of like obnoxiously positive. You know what I mean? Yeah. And you know, in, in our industry in marketing, in the marketing world, in tech Twitter, we we see this um, strategy of quote unquote working in public, working with the garage door yeah. open. Could you talk about how that might apply to our sport? Like some cool facets of that that could be applied. And um, yeah, I'd be curious to see what that might look like in our sport. Yeah, totally. I can give some examples from like the the B2B world just to sort of oh, set yeah, the stage do. for this. Like so I spent a lot of my career working on B2B content marketing strategy. And like, there's kind of a couple, um, there's, there's a handful of frameworks that companies use to grow uh, traffic to their website, to acquire new customers via content marketing. And one of the, one of the easiest, cheapest, and most interesting ways to go about it is just to, in a semi-transparent way, like document what's going on at your company, how it's going highlight the highs, you know, sort of reflect on the lows and take people on a journey, sort of an episodic journey where you're maybe publishing stuff weekly or monthly, just to sort of keep people in the loop on like, how's it going? You know what I mean? So like, instead of the sort of more typical thing we see, which is like all the reasons this product is better than that product. It's not really about that. It's just sort of about like humanizing uh, the company by sort of showcasing the people who are building it and like what's going on behind the scenes. So uh, great examples of this would include companies like Buffer, which is like a social media scheduling tool. Like mm. the first thing they ever did when they launched the company was just write articles about like 
how much are we paying people? Like, we don't know. So we're going to try to figure it out and we'll sort of share how it goes and what we learn. Um, we're going to try being all remote. This is in like, you know, 2012 or 2013, like we're going to see how it goes and sort of tell you all about it. And they just did this over and over and over again, help them build a massive audience, which they later parlayed into a whole bunch of other things that are much more closely related to social media marketing, which is like, that's their niche. Like those are the customers they actually need, uh, but it helped them build this incredible brand. Anyways, so I can see sort of, a, a, again, like a parallel or a potential parallel in, um, in the trail and ultra world where folks just sort of take people on that journey. You know what I mean? Like we hear a lot about like, what race am I running? How's training going? How's my recovery? You, you know, like that kind of stuff. But like, I don't know how many folks are like telling us like, what is it like to be a professional ultra runner? You know what I mean? Like, it's probably not <laughs> so glamorous. Like I would be curious to know more about like, not just your training. Cause sometimes we can see that on Strava, which is amazing. Like that's such, so, so cool. Like that could certainly be incorporated, but like, you know, what's your life like, you know what I mean? What do you aspire to accomplish in your career? What do you hope to get out of it? What are you going to do later? You know what I mean? Like, are there right. things you're trying in your diet or, you know, uh, race day nutrition or what's your coaching relationship? Like, like kind of all the different things that like, I think sort of like the average middle of the pack folks like me would just like be so curious to follow along with. And, and the beauty of it is like, it's already there. It's just sort of a matter of like packaging it up for a reader to consume. I also think a lot of these athletes uh, don't appreciate how much we're cool with them putting out or documenting sort of the mundane parts of their training and their yeah, lives. Yeah, yeah, that's interesting. I mean, like, I'm a, I think about Strava. That's probably the closest thing that you and I have to following some of our favorite athletes and documenting what they do on a day-to-day -day basis from just a running standpoint. Like, I live and die on that in terms of entertainment. So yeah. I think that's one thing I'd put out there is like, you know, it's not too boring. We're all hardcore fans of the sport. Um, yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. I, I don't, Nick Simmons, like, you know, multi-time us 800 champion has started selling his training logs. Like, Oh, wow. He published, he published, you know, he like turned it into like an actual book and he, he's selling them. And like Nick Simmons gets a lot of flack for being like, he, <laughs> he kind of like pulls stunts to get attention and try to sell, you know, his run gum or whatever other thing he's got going on his YouTube channel and stuff. Um, but I think selling training logs is an awesome idea. I think that's so cool. You know what I mean? Like I wish he would have sold it while he was, you know, actively competing. I would have subscribed, you know, Me too. not, not just to see like the, the Strava fee, but to kind of like understand like what's going on behind the scenes you know, like just give us that glimpse. And you're so right about like the mundane stuff actually is so interesting. Right. Because I feel like people who are attracted to the sport, uh, myself included, probably you too, like I nerd out on all kinds of things. So like, if you tell me like you do a certain stretch, I'm probably gonna try it, <laughs> you know? Or like, there's like a new mobility tool you got, like, you know, I'm probably gonna buy it and try it myself. So like learning about those things would be fascinating. And I wonder if some of the athletes feel like, who cares about this stuff? Like people want to know if I, you know, do a massive long run or super fast intervals or win a race, not necessarily like kind of the, the boring stuff. Right. Yeah. And I think a lot of one thing I'll add is um, I think that as a lot of these platforms get more mature and I think as the styles of promotion get more mature, like the Nick Simmonses of the world, like they're really just the V one of this movement and like mm, the yeah. next wave of people that come around and are promoting their lifestyle and being more open about their training and et cetera. It'll be, um, and again, I like Nick Simmons, but it'll probably be less like cringe. Like, I guess there are some people that would say, Oh, 
that's a little bit too much for me. But I, I think that with each person that tries this, it gets better and better like any other um, art form or business model. Yeah, totally. Totally. Um, I'm sure you used to watch the Mako show, right? The Mako show is great. It was so great. It was so great. I don't know. I mean, I don't know why. I mean, I know, I don't think Chris Mako isn't like actively competing right now. I'm not sure exactly why he decided to shut the channel down. He's, he's one of us. He worked at Twitter, right? Square. Yeah. He, he gets, Oh, yeah, that's super interesting. I mean, he's sort of like one, his YouTube channel was like totally amateur and like, that was perfect. That was, he set the expectation that it was amateur and it was a ton of fun. He was funny. It was like very casual. It was great. And then like at, at times he was even like pitching sponsors. You know what I mean? Like he was always making like Kodiak pancakes and he was like trying to get a sponsorship from them. Like he would go to Costco a lot. He was trying to get Costco to sponsor him. Like it was so kind good. of funny to like so follow the journey. And it was like, it almost didn't even matter what happened that week on the episode. It was just like sort of cool to see what kind of training he did. And like, he was sort of a funny, charismatic guy. So it was just entertaining. And like, we don't have... You know, like you, YouTube is sort of its whole own thing. Like we don't have that many people in the trail and ultra space doing that kind of thing. Right. It's funny actually on, on the Kodiak cakes note, I think he actually opened up the floodgates for that brand because they do now. They sponsor do sponsor people. A couple now. athletes in our sport. And I want to say it's because he put that public pressure on them. So someone should, someone should cut him a check. <laughs> <laughs> he put so much work into making that happen. Like oh, he I was, know. that's really funny. Um, well, cool. Uh, one other thing I want to, touch on on this topic um is attribution and like Mm. as these athletes are out there kind of doing marketing on behalf of these brands what are some ways that they can measure their success and basically come back to these brands and saying i've done x y and z on your behalf here are the numbers um because there are things there is sort of that also also that dark funnel where things can't be attributed but they are doing great work um so what what do you what do you think about that space this is such a difficult question because we have this, we have the, a, a very, um, we have the same issue in the content marketing world. And mm. it's just difficult to measure. Like it's easy to collect numbers. It's easy to collect data on like impressions and views and things like that. But it's very, very difficult to tie uh, actual purchases to initial discovery. So like, I, you know, we, we create content for companies like, maybe somebody sort of discovers a product through reading an article and then two and a half years later Mm. actually has a need for that thing and has some vague memory of a company that does that thing and they buy it. And like the content would never be properly attributed because it's just like not possible to track that journey. Yeah. Uh, If you have, you know, if you're Solomon and you sponsor I don't even know, dozens, hundreds of athletes. Like I, I have no clue how you could possibly measure the impact of their activity on that platform to like right. actual sales. And maybe they don't even bother to try because I can't imagine that it's possible. So one, one kind of workaround that we have, uh, I have a friend, Sean Blanda, who introduced me to this concept called the art museum, which is essentially like a way to collect anecdotal data about how people experience your content. So uh, he, he runs a, a content marketing team at a software company and uh, he has what he calls uh, the art museum folder on his desktop where he's just constantly collecting screenshots of anything nice that anyone ever says about the work that they do. So hopefully it's a reader saying, I love this so much, you know, I signed up for your newsletter or I bought your product, but it may be, uh, 
you know, somebody on Twitter sort of reacting in a positive way or saying like, I never thought of it that way. Or maybe it's the sales team saying, Hey, this was actually a really useful piece. Like we actually like mentioned it in our, in a sales call and it helped close a deal, you know, or maybe it's, um, you know, someone from like, maybe it's someone on the leadership team of that company saying like, wow, this is really impressive. It like reflects really well on our brand, but he collects all that stuff. And then as they, he puts together reports, uh, for his, boss once a month or whatever. And that stuff is always included. And the beauty of it is that it humanizes the data, right? If you say an article got a thousand views, it doesn't really mean much. And like, actually sounds like weirdly small, Yeah, you know, but like a thousand people reading something you wrote that's just like floating around the internet is actually like kind of amazing, you know? So like, uh, but if you could show even five faces, you know, actual people that sort of reacted to it in a positive way, far, far more powerful. So like, I, I don't know if athletes do this. They should be. What's an example of how it could be worked out in our sport? Well, like, uh, I, here's an example. Like I, uh, uh, like you had Dylan Bowman on podcast. Yeah. He's awesome. He's just like doing so much cool, cool work in this space. Anyways, I've been running in, um, ultra shoes and Solomon shoes for years. I love them. I developed this plantar fascia issue. And it's just like, I've just needed to change or I was experimenting with different things, trying to figure out like a better solution here. And I had seen Dylan posting about the, the North base Vective line. And I was like, and then I went to a store and I saw them and I was like, I'll try them on. Like, I don't know. Dylan Bowman says they're good. Maybe they're good. Tried them on. I was like, actually, these are, I really like these. And now I've like burned through five pairs of them. Um, so I sent Dylan an Instagram message just cause I like kind, I guess maybe it was the marketer in me. Like I kind of wanted to like yeah. close that circle, you know? So I was like, Hey man, I just want to let you know, like saw you post these shoes and I bought them and I love them. And now I've bought five pairs. <laughs> and like, I hope he took a screenshot of that and sent it to somebody. You know what I mean? Like he deserves credit for their $130 shoes. I bought five pairs. Like he deserves credit for like $700 worth of North face revenue. You know what I mean? Based on like two Instagram posts. That's so cool. I, I got to comment on that. So first of all, that's amazing. And I think that that's the perfect example. I have a, I have a buddy, uh, his name is Jimmy Elam. I've mentioned him on the podcast before. He's a ultra sales rep and he does this to perfection in a lot of ways too. One, one way he does it is um, he'll go on Instagram and he'll say, Hey, I left uh, a pair of these ultra lone peaks at the top of some climb. In the oh, no way. And uh, it's free to anybody that grabs them and, and, and screenshots them and puts them in their story and tags ultra. And no it's just way. Such That's like awesome. a unique way of like building brand awareness and affinity. And um, he's brilliant in a lot of other sales tactic ways too. But that, I think that's a perfect example of that sort of museum uh, uh, philosophy you're talking about. Yeah, that's so cool. That's so cool. See, just another quick thought on Dylan. Like, he's sort of like the perfect example, I guess, of like, uh, you know, how to sort of forge your own path. And what I mean by that is like create your own revenue stream, basically. Oh, yeah. You know, and what he's doing. But like, I would be very curious what the North Face thinks of all this. Like, my hope is that the North Face totally embraces it and says, like, we encourage you to do this because because then it's not like, well. Dylan turns 40 and he retires and now he's no longer a North face athlete, but it could be like a lifelong partnership. If he's kind of like, he's sort of stated, like he wants to make a living beyond his competitive career in this trail and ultra world. Yeah. I hope that they're supporting him, like potentially even investing in him. You know what I mean? Because like, it just like, it's interesting. Cause it's like, a, it's like a really cool opportunity for a sponsor to do something. That's not just like wear my clothes and take pictures of it. 
Yeah. You know, I have no idea. I don't know anything about the behind the scenes of that relationship, but um, it would be, it would be super cool if like athletes have ideas and then sponsors could back them in other ways besides yeah. just like where my stuff to races. Oh, I couldn't agree more. And in our world, we, we taught, we have this phrase, like every company is now a media company. Mm-hmm. And I, I wonder if like the outdoor industry has gotten that message and is thinking the same way, like does a, does a company like the North face see this track that pillars is on and they want to scoop them up and absorb them into the organization. Like, yeah, that's interesting. Very, very interesting. I think. Um, yeah. Can you talk about, uh, I am looking at these notes here, uh, this, this specialized gear thread and how that can be used from a marketing standpoint to kind of build brand affinity. The, like there's just so many other things that athletes could do too. Like, again, it does put like the entrepreneurial burden on the athlete to figure it out. Like that's yeah. not a hundred percent a good thing, but like, you know, some people are going to be into this kind of thing. Like, um, I don't think this was done intentionally, but Walmsley wore a bucket hat, like this white bucket hat in Western States this year. And then went on to just crush everybody by like an hour and a half. And, uh, I like trained for my own hundred this summer, expecting it's going to be warm. And I was like, that bucket hat is perfect. I want that. And I went to buy it and it was gone. And then I was like, I wonder if Solomon has one. I wonder if North Face has one. And like, I found all these companies sell them, but they're like sold out now. And like, I think Walmsley like sold out Solomon and North Face's bucket hats. Cause they're just, it's like not a popular thing. And like, suddenly this like very prominent ultra runner wore one one day and there's just like not any inventory for like, you know, whatever, maybe like 200 people go to buy them or whatever. So I was like, I wonder if I was a professional athlete, if anyone wants to sponsor me, I'm not that fast, but like, I'll be, I will, I will throw so many cool business ideas at you um, that they should ask for like, give me, give me stuff. Kind of like what you were saying with Jimmy, like give me an Easter egg. You know what I mean? Like, give me something that's different. That's maybe not sold publicly yet. Maybe it's like, a, 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 it hasn't been released. It's in beta, whatever. Let me rep it during a big event, whether it's a race or something else. And just like, that would be a cool way to track attribution. You know what I mean? Like yeah. Hoka, I guess could probably track like traffic to the bucket hat page, you know, to like surging right after Walmsley win States this year, you know, and you could probably, if it's something specific enough, you, you and only one athlete is wearing that thing or maybe it's like you know whatever if solomon has 20 athletes at utmb they're all sort of wearing the new whatever yep and then you could track search traffic after that you could share you could you could track pre-orders you could track a whole bunch of different things that would then be like much more closely tied to like that event and and the individuals that were participating i couldn't agree more and i think it's um the other one the other fashion statement that comes to mind is uh it must have been Western States two or three years ago, but the Coconino Cowboys all wore those uh, ventilated T-shirts. Like, oh yeah, cut up his shirt. To now they sell shirt. those, right? And now Rabbit, the the uh, apparel brand, they sell a shirt that has all those pre-cut uh, vented areas on the shirts, which I think is just fascinating. That's awesome. Um, so maybe one of the takeaways of this episode is uh, if you're an athlete out there and you want to build a brand, uh, get funky with your fashion. Yeah, yeah, and that's Courtney cool. Courtney does it too. Courtney has the basketball shorts that she runs in, which is just so cool as well. Yes. You know, I saw Solomon post on Instagram teasing. I don't know if they were being, I couldn't tell if they were joking or not, but they were teasing that they were going to make a short knee. Yeah. Like long, long running shorts for women. And they were going to call it the short knee. And I was like, is this real? Because if this is real, that's like one, it's just hilarious. And it's a great name, but like two, how cool is that? Like, yeah that she's like pioneered a new line of fashion, you know, that's so cool. 
Um, it's so cool. So cool. And then like spring energy. I mean, I think spring is another example of a brand that has, I think invested well in their athletes. Like they've named flavors after them. Like I think Sally McCray yeah. has a, has a flavor sage Canada. Um, yeah. Kelly Wolf has on. the, uh, Kelly have Wolf. you had the oatmeal, the oatmeal it's, it's solid. packets? It, They're I, really good. They're great. And I like how there's a cap on it too. So I can like keep returning. Yeah. You don't it. have to eat it. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. yeah. No, I love that. And I feel like too, like, I don't know, like if I was sage Canada, I'd be out like repping that stuff all the time. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like it's a great product. It's got your name on it. That's so cool. And then I think maybe the most successful example is, uh, is the Hoka speed go like Carl yeah. are getting a shoe named after himself. Like I'd be curious to know what the royalty situation is there. Cause that's, I think probably the most popular shoe in our sport right now. Yeah. Yeah. That's so interesting. Um, okay. Next question. I, we, we've talked about ways that sort of athletes can accommodate themselves to social media and kind of building their own brand. I want to ask this next question in this context. So I have a friend who works at Solomon and he had mentioned that um, they essentially give all of their top athletes GoPros and they, and they train them on how to use those GoPros so that they can go create content in the field. I think it's why you see like Killian Journey, for example, with these incredible videos training in the Alps and in Norway. Um, I'm wondering what are some ways similar to what Solomon's doing that brands can equip their athletes to be successful as marketers um, and on social media, et cetera. Yeah. That's super interesting because I feel like I, th this problem I sort of have alluded to a few times, which is like, not every athlete wants to do this. You know what I mean? But it's like sort of a shame to like exclude them. You, you know what I mean? Like what, do, what does it say about our community of runners? If like, we only, we only pay people who are charismatic right. and good looking and like willing to share their lives on the internet. You know what I mean? So it's like, um, it's a lot there's of factors. A, yeah. Right. And, and it's not, I'm, I'm, it's not as extreme as I think I just described, but like you could sort of see it trending that direction. You know what I mean? I feel like one thing that we do in the, in the B2B world is like, so I did like sales for content agency for years. And we talked to CEOs of these software companies constantly. And they would say things like, uh, we don't know what to write about. And we're like, as people who are trained as content marketers, we're like, there's so much to write about. Like it, it's not, you'll never run out of ideas once we build up just a little bit of momentum. And so we'd have to sort of convince them that like, you have a story and your company has a story. You know, if you allow us, like, we're going to tell it, we're going to tell that story for you. We just need like, give us in half an hour of your time a week, mm. you know, and we'll interview you and ask questions. And then we're going to ghostwrite stuff on your behalf. I, mm. I don't know if any, um, if any companies do this for runners, but like providing folks with GoPros is sweet. That's awesome. But then they also have to do the content creation bit themselves. You know, I could imagine uh, for runners with great stories and like probably all of them have a great story. Maybe not all of them are inclined to write about it, but like you could provide them with ghostwriters. It's like not a, not expensive to find yeah. a good ghostwriter and let them write short form content, long form content, sort of like run their social media for them. Like kind of take some of that, uh, like rather than like forcing them to become marketers and content creators, like mm -hmm. kind of just like, uh, encouraging them to participate and like, let a professional kind of like deal with all the nuts and bolts. Because like, if you're trying to train full time, like, you know, you may not want to like also learn how to edit video, right. Right. When whatever other things you need to do to get content out the door. I've always wondered how much these brands budget for their athletes to, to do promotion, like how expensive and how out of the question it would be to like pair them with a local video production agency so that, you know, at any given yeah. time, a couple of days a week, 
that agency can go out with them in the field shoots that they're not having to take like awkward photos from them. I mean, I know that user generated content is awesome and there's a authenticity to that, but like, yeah, like a team can go out with them in the field, capture really cool movie like video and maybe the quality is that much better. Um, I've always thought about stuff like that too. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool, man. I mean, like some companies have just done such an incredible job with like high, that high end production, like, like Solomon creates like amazing video content, you know, like ultra has, I think probably hired, if not Billy Yang, like some, you know, someone of his ilk, like that's really a professional to go do. The problem is that is like, you can do it like once a year, you know what I mean? Like you, there's so much goes into running a campaign like that. I feel like we need more of the the Mako show style where it's just like, maybe the athlete sort of does their own, you know, they're recording stuff on their phone or the GoPro and then they're handing it off to somebody provided to them by a sponsor who can then go like package it up and like, you know, edit it, polish it, turn it into a 10 minute clip and publish it on YouTube. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. This is, the, this is another call on my end to any, any runners that are listening. Um, there's such a value in, in being transparent about what you do on our day-to-day basis. And we, and, as consumers, we enjoy it. Like the mundane stuff is cool. Um, okay. This is a question that I'm pretty obsessed with and it, it, it finds its way into every single conversation I have on this podcast. Um, imagine for a moment that you are, uh, the chief brand officer or the head of content for the international trail runners association. And let's assume that your job is to build a new narrative that helps double or triple participation in our sport in the next decade. Um, what is, what does that process look like? Um, what do you think are the most important messages that have to be in that narrative? Um, and why does it end up ultimately working in the end? Cause I'm obsessed with growing the sport. I think growth is good. That's kind of my bias. Um, I think that the more chances we have for the sport to go mainstream, the better. Um, I'm really curious to get your take here. Yeah, this is interesting. So the goal is recruit new members, essentially. We want new people coming into the sport. Exactly. Trail or ultra. It doesn't have to be ultra, right? Exactly. And if anything, trail is a gateway into ultras. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I've heard Dylan talk about this before. Just like people are Decoupling. freaked out by the idea of running 100 miles. <laughs> His whole thing was like, there's tons of cool five-mile trail races too. Like that's oh, a good totally. place to start. Yeah. Um, hmm, okay. How would I handle this? Probably the first thing I would do is just conduct like a massive survey, like just get as many people as I possibly could to take a survey to try to understand like how they got into it. You know, what was their first, how did they become aware of trail running? Um, what was like the first step that they took to participate? Like, you know what I mean? Like, was it finding a local trail? Was there like a running club they found? Did they just go out by themselves? You know, when did they sign up for their first race? You know, what in racing may or may not matter, but just sort of like, how did that oftentimes like connects people to the community and then like kind of deepens their engagement with it, I would imagine. Yeah. So just conduct massive survey, like try to understand uh, how these people, what, what their entry points are so that we could start to like find, look for ways to replicate that. Yeah. And then I would also probably go to as many kind of like tangentially related sports uh, to begin like my initial recruiting. So I'm thinking of like folks who are like already inclined to, uh, pursue like a physically challenging hobby. You know what I mean? Like, I think it's just going to be easier to recruit the person that does CrossFit than it is like the person who um, sort of maybe doesn't already have an hour or two of their day dedicated to exercise. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, you know, there's CrossFit, there's Spartan, there's, there's roadrunners. I mean, gosh, roadrunner, how many roadrunners like are we missing out on in the trail space just because, you know, whatever they grew up in the sport and 
um, haven't like really been exposed to the, the trail scene. Um, so that, that would be like, kind of, that would be like kind of like my first point of execution would be like starting to recruit those folks. And like the messaging piece is, is interesting because I feel like it differs a little bit, whether, depending whether you're talking to that person who already has the one to two hour block per day where they're working out, like that person needs a different message than the person who's even if they're not completely sedentary, but just like they're, this is like not a part of their daily life. Like those folks are going to need to be segmented out and messaged to very differently. So like, you know, for the, um, uh, for the, we'll call it the active crowd, like those folks are probably going to need like a, you know, sort of, uh, a nod to like nature getting outside being able to access places that like not everybody gets to see, you know, like I'm, I'm imagining someone like a, a CrossFitter who works out indoors, you know, you can do a lot of messaging around like getting outside. Uh, you could help them like discover local trails. You could, um, well, whatever. I don't know. I can't think of it. There's just so many things you could do to like kind of help transition that person into like, they don't have to be, I don't think like a hardcore trail runner, but like it could be like become part of their, routine, you know, versus like the less active person, like they're going to need something totally different. And I, and I think, I think a message that might resonate with that crowd is like a trail running is like an analog outlet in our digital world. You know what I mean? Like for me, that's like kind of the best thing about trail running is that it's analog and like, yes, it's, you know, you can buy a thousand dollar Garmin if you want to, and you can kind of do all this digital stuff but it doesn't have to be that way. Like you can just like the whole point of it is to like be outside in nature. And I feel like that could be so addicting for folks who have never experienced it before. Like even people who run on the roads don't necessarily experience that. Um, my sister is training for a marathon and she's done lots of road races and uh, road marathons. And I was really encouraging her to like try a trail marathon. And, and, and interestingly, it was, she was sort of intimidated by it. And I was like, really? It's like, all the fun of a marathon, you know, actually marathons are not, I don't think road marathons are really all that fun to begin with, but like you sort of get the good parts of it. Plus all these other amazing benefits of like being in beautiful places, like the the people there are probably going to be more fun and supportive, you know? And so there's sort of a whole bunch of messaging around that too. Um, man, like tapping into like influencer marketing at all. Hmm. Yeah. I think that could be interesting. I feel like, yeah, that's interesting. Uh, I feel like the first thing that comes to mind is um, there's a Peloton instructor that I follow on Instagram who like occasionally he's a Peloton guy. Like he lives in New York city, you know, he's a bike, he's a bike guy, uh, but he occasionally goes trail running and he like posts about it. And he like extols the benefits of getting onto trails, especially for people like him who live in the middle of New York. It's pretty interesting. Like I bet there's other folks like that who like participate in trail running, like on some kind of occasional basis that could appeal to like, you know, the Peloton crowd is, is part of that. Like they're already working out, you know, there's sort of like a new, you know, but a new thing that they could add to their regimen. Oh yeah. We, we, you know, we were talking offline about all these major brands that are entering into the sport, like lifetime fitness and Spartan. And when I was thinking of Spartan, um, I mean, I don't know how many obstacle course racers there are that compete under that brand, but now that Spartan's in the ultra running space, it, it's, I'm thinking how many, people in that network will be exposed to ultra running just by virtue of Spartan entering into our space. And that's going to be a ready-made mm. kind of prepackaged audience that can yeah. be influenced by our culture and our sport. And that'll be really cool. Yeah. That's interesting. I mean, I guess that is one benefit of having these big brands coming like growth is a must for them. 
Yeah. So they will put, and like, that's the only way they'll make money. So like, yeah. they'll put smart minds on this. Uh, I'm sure they'll have better ideas than me kind of like rattling off stuff off the top of my head. Oh no, no, this is good. And I, I, I think I'm going to roll with that analog fun <laughs> digital world uh, sentiment. That's good. And that's kind of what's precious about our sport in a lot of ways. Definitely. Um, cool. Uh, so you're not just an expert on content marketing. You're also an entrepreneur. Uh, and you're a pretty damn good ultra runner too. You just came off a really impressive Leadville finish. So the overlap between all of your kind of passions and skill sets, they're, they're pretty valuable to our community, I would say. I know you're busy running your own business, but do you have any requests for startups in the mountain ultra trail running space? Like, mm, that's interesting. Built? That's interesting. Well, actually it's funny because like, that's how we met actually, right? Like, I think I tweeted something about like, hey, who wants to start an ultra running newsletter? And you responded and then like, we've connected since then. Um, I feel like stuff like exactly what you're doing, stuff like what Dylan Bowman's doing, stuff like if folks haven't checked out what um, Kyle Merber's doing, go check that out. I got to check stuff, it out. That's it's really me. good. It's similar to like what Mario Fraioli does. If you follow yep. his um, yeah. morning shakeout newsletter, it's kind of like that. Um, like, this is great. Like content creation doesn't necessarily, like at least in this space that we're talking about like athletes making money, that's one thing, but like just mm -hmm. things that the space needs don't have to come from professional athletes. They can come from just people who are passionate about the sport. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? So like content, content works in that arena too. And actually probably is easier in some ways if you're not a professional athlete where, you know, where the content stuff is actually a distraction from your real goal, you know? Um, so there's that. I mean, other things, I feel like community is something we need more of. Like that's what I spend a lot of my time doing now at the company that I, that I run. Mm -hmm. um, like the company is built on top of a community of 4,000 content marketers. Mm -hmm. uh, the thing that we offer people is like a place to connect and learn, you know, um, uh, find jobs, get mm -hmm. career advice. Like there's a lot of really cool stuff that happens there. Um, and then over time, I figured out ways to monetize that, uh, actually add value to the group. They don't take anything away at all. You know, it's really cool. Like we can connect with companies who are like want to get in front of this audience in a way that is not, doesn't feel like salesy and promotional. Um, we have like upgrades, like the community is free, but you know, they're sort of like an upgraded version if you want to pay for it, you know? Um, and there's things popping up like this too. Like, um, like Ginger Runner has a thing like this. Like you can pay to be part of their community, which I haven't done myself, but I've heard good things about, you know? Uh, but I feel like we need more of that kind of thing. And I, when I say community, I don't mean like Facebook groups. I mean like more kind of like genuine interactive like places where just like like-minded people can like hang out. Like I think you and I are probably lucky in that like we live in mountain towns, like I got just trail runners everywhere. Right. You know what I mean? But a lot of folks, like, especially if you're new to the sport and you're like, you don't know a lot of people or like, right. you don't live in an area that's like got tons of trails and tons of trail runners. Like that's, you kind of want that support and that connection with other people. I couldn't, yeah, I couldn't agree more. Like what, and what would like a, yeah, what would like Slack for ultra running look like? Like what would like a, like a really robust information exchange kind of Slack community look like? What would mm. you want to see on there? Oh, that's interesting. I feel like I would like to see, okay. Okay. I would like to see, I think actually Slack might be a cool way to do this because like a lot of people are using Slack at work anyways. And like, if you have like hobbyist Slack groups popping up, it's just like an awesome way for people to like take a little break from work. It's a little yeah. distraction for them. You know what I mean? Things I would like to see would be like, um, structured discussions on specific topics. Okay. Right. Yeah. So like nutrition. 
nutrition, injury prevention, like mm-hmm. kind of basic stuff that like all of us, uh, or at least I have to like learn over and over again. Mm-hmm. Um, I would love to bring in like, uh, say a group of people is training for a certain race, you know, the, the community brings in someone who's run the race to do a Q and a about it, you know, like that kind of thing, uh, potentially do like monthly, like webinar presentation type things from like coaches who may be like out there, like, like recruiting new clients, like give them a chance to like yep. teach everybody something in exchange for the opportunity to like get in front of this group of people. Like there's so many things, so many ways you could do it that I think would feel, um, that, that would, that would sort of create ways to earn revenue without feeling icky. You know what I mean? Like, I've just been actually amazed by how open our community is to me earning revenue through it, because that means it can continue to exist. It makes it sustainable. And people like that. They want it to be there. Um, and I think people feel the same way about like Billy Yang and Dylan Bowman and Ethan yeah. Burry and anybody that's a content creator in our sport. Like, I'm happy to fork over a couple bucks a month to help them keep the lights on. Totally. Totally. I could imagine like other businesses that need to exist in this space too. Like I recently, um, uh, I recently bought some stuff from Tracksmith, which like, I, yeah, I'm like so impressed, but I, I was like weirdly, um, I had this feeling that like, wasn't for me because I am a trail runner and it's for like track athletes and cross country runners, which I like, I used to be that, but I'm not that anymore, but I needed a pair of half tights. And so I did some research and like everybody said they got the best ones. So I bought them and I was like, these are that they do. They are really good. So I kind of wish we had like a, a version of that, like path projects. I feel like it's sort of heading that direction. I think their stuff is also very good. Yep. Um, but like, yeah, Tracksmith is just building like a whole brand around this that I think is kind of fascinating. And I, I kind of long for a version of that in, uh, in our world. I really want, so Matt Taylor is the CEO of that brand mm-hmm. and, um, or that company. And he's been on a couple podcasts before and he talks about how despite everything that he was told to do from like a performance marketing standpoint, they went all in on like the really non-scalable brand marketing plays early on, like building out long form content, uh, et cetera. And it shows like there's really a lot of cool stuff attached to that brand. And like you and I, we're not roadrunners at least anymore, but we still buy that stuff because it's just that cool. And the Yeah, totally. Great. Totally. Yeah. And the stuff is really like, it lives up. It's expensive, but then you get it and you're like, I, I get it. I yeah. understand why it's expensive now. Um, you know, just one other quick thought on the community thing going back, like I feel like Strava has just like totally missed the community opportunity, you know, like for a company that reaches like, I don't know, like 60 millions. million people or something. Tens of millions. Uh, like why isn't that an important part of what they offer? Like there was an, excuse me, I was an article I read this probably a year and a half ago about how Strava was like basically on the verge of bankruptcy because they couldn't, uh, they couldn't convert enough free members into paying users. Right. And the article was sort of like trying to figure out why. And I was like, I know why I've been using this app forever. And like the paid version isn't any better than the free one. Right. It's one of like the you most get, generous free models out there. Well, that's part of the problem, I guess, is the free one is so good. Yeah. Um, but then also like, I don't know, all like the extra stuff they give you, like my Garmin gives me that. I don't, I don't like feel the need to like, have it in both places. It's just, I don't know, even though it's not that expensive, but I feel like the thing they're missing isn't more tech. It's more community, like more connection with people. You know what I mean? Like I would love to open up my Strava feed and see more than just little maps with red lines. Yep. <laughs> you know, like I would like to know, like they've, they've kind of like made a, a small attempt at like posts where people could just like write something. And like, that's 
that would take the place of like a, like a, a route they run. But like, I feel like there should be video content in there. There should be audio content. There should be, um, gear. Like, I don't know, like, yep. like I'm a nerd, sell me, like, show me, show me more stuff. I think you're spot on about the community. I, there's a, a group that, uh, recently formed here in Salt Lake city. It's called women of the Wasatch and it aggregates all of the f- female runners in the area. And, um, they use group me to organize all of their runs and to keep in touch. Why isn't that on Strava? They Why have, isn't they're not, Strava? Not, I mean, they do have a Strava group, but I'm pretty sure the majority of their interactions happen off that app and on group me. And like, yeah, what that's a fascinating, fascinating. Also coaching too. Like, yep. like my coach and I use an app called V dot, uh, which isn't bad, but it, it syncs Strava data and then gives us literally what that's what it pulls in Strava data and then gives us like a commenting platform that's just like not it's just like private you know what i mean like but like strava should be uh i don't know if you've used um uh, i'm blanking on the name training peaks training peaks yeah so complicated and confusing coaches app yeah the more coaches on there i think totally and i i've messed around with it i mean i don't coach like i just use whatever my coach says we're going to use but um it just seems very complicated i just feel like strava strava could totally do this i don't know why they don't Um, i say that as someone that loves strava i just want to see them do better I agree. I mean, it, wouldn't it be a shame if Strava had raised a hundred million dollars and spent 10 years and then like eventually went bankrupt. Cause like they couldn't monetize based on like selling people like slightly fancier technology, you know? I know. I know. Um, so you talked about the creator economy earlier in the conversation and I want to come back to it for a brief second. What are some trends from the creator economy that have taken off in other spaces, like in our tech world uh, that haven't yet taken off in our sport that you're excited to see kind of come about Hmm. one thing that's happened in the creator economy is that individuals have uh been awakened i would i think is the best way to put it they've been awakened to their um actual earning potential and like Mm -hmm. what i mean by that is like there's uh examples of high profile writers who maybe they worked for like new york times or like a very well-respected publication who are probably making pretty decent money that realized if they if they launched their own newsletter um, and sold it at five bucks a month or 10 bucks a month, they could actually make a boatload of money. So like, actually there's one guy in our world who was a product manager at Airbnb and decided to launch his own. Lenny. Yeah. Lenny Richitsky. Yeah. He's fascinating. And uh, I heard him on a podcast recently talking about how he makes a half a million dollars a year writing his weekly newsletter. Yeah. And I was just like kind of blown away by that. I mean, he came from a world where he was probably making great money yeah. as like a high level employee at Airbnb. But like in this podcast, he was sort of explaining, like, he was like, my life is so simple now. Like I don't go to meetings. I don't work 40 hours a week. I write one article. That's my week. I got to write my one article and I have, you know, thousands of paying subscribers who are looking for my expertise. And it's actually, he was sort of a little frustrated by like the fact that there were so many opportunities coming his way that he wasn't sure how to prioritize them. You know what I mean? I was like, that's kind of insane problem to have. And so, uh, but this is happening all over the place where individuals are realizing that like, whether it's a newsletter platform like Substack or Patreon, or, you know, there's a million other tools like this now that like they can actually, like they can make a ton more money sort of selling their expertise, charisma, personality, their story or whatever uh, on their own versus kind of collecting a salary from somebody else. Like that's kind of been like this big, like mental shift in people. 
And it's playing out in so many different ways, but it's all kind of comes back to the same thing, which is like just individuals um, sort of, sort of like me, although I'm not making half a million dollars a year, uh, sort of like putting together a handful of different revenue streams from a few different things, kind of relying on these like pretty new modern tools that just like make it super easy to make all this stuff happen. Fascinating. And it reminds me, so Dylan Bowman, I had him on the show as we talked about, and he, he, he made a comment. He said, you know, there's only a handful of people, athletes that have transcended the sport. And I didn't mention it in the conversation, but my first thought was, well, I, I think that there are more that could. And with the right yeah. tools and the right strategies, like you're talking about, sort of decoupling themselves from the brands and building their own audience, uh, you don't have to be Scott Jurek or Courtney DeWalter or Anton Krupichka to transcend and to, like you, like you say, realize your earning potential. It, the, the sky is the limit and it hasn't been tapped into in our sport yet. Totally. Also for so many of these people, like the window is short to have sponsors, you know, care enough to pay you, you know, like what if you, you know, I don't know, like for some folks, like you're going to have a great career and then you're going to get older and you're going to retire. And for some folks, like maybe injury forces you out or whatever, like sort of, but thinking some of these things will allow some athletes like Dylan, hopefully to make a living out of this for a long time, you know, even if he's not like finishing second at hard rock anymore. Um, what is something that isn't big now that you think will be big in the future of the sport? Could be a form of nutrition, training, race, style of clothing, like we talked about earlier. What's going to be big? Hmm. I think I have um, I have ideas of things I hope are big. I don't I don't know well, that they're good. predictions no, no, necessarily, good. but like we're dreaming. I think um, things I hope become big. I hope that um, uh, I hope that we nutri- we the community of ultra runners moves away from gels as like a primary nutrition source. Amen. I just feel like gels are, uh, gels are in my experience, great for efforts up to like two or three hours, which actually means they're great for like road runners and marathoners, but not really for folks who are going for six, 12, 24, 48 hours. Um, uh, so I hope that we just like get, yeah, I don't know. I hope that some companies will like, start coming along with some products that are like built for, for athletes. Um, but that you have to chew on. Mm. <laughs> the one thing I'll say there, and this is not a plug or maybe it is a plug, but I've recently come on to Morton gels and they have that hydro gel where you don't need like water to absorb uh, it and digest it. Those are actually solid, but I couldn't, I I'm not a gels person. Typically there. I agree. I couldn't. Agree yeah. More. I like them in training. I use spring gels in training. I like them a lot. I think the oatmeal's are great, but like in Leadville just a few weeks ago, like, my stomach crapped out at 30 miles because all I'd eaten was gels. And I, this, <laughs> I knew what to do because I've had this happen before. Like I knew I had to switch to real food and do it fast before I had like a real downward spiral. Um, and then I ate pretzels and potato chips for the remaining 70 miles <laughs> and that worked great. <laughs> so I feel like there's like something to be learned there. Like that this thing that's made specifically for the event I'm doing, like only sustain me for 30% of it. Like that doesn't, that doesn't seem like it makes sense. Oh my gosh. That, no, that that's, yeah. I'm going to be thinking about that for a bit. Any other, any other possible big things? I feel like, um, I am like sort of, uh, I feel like, um, yoga pants for dudes are going to become a thing at some point. <laughs> I, I genuinely think this will happen. Um, I got a pair of, um, Lululemon 
tight, like for yeah. running, you know, okay. but they've got the pockets, like the side, side yeah. leg pocket. Yeah. Man, they are nice. They're really nice. Like I don't feel comfortable wearing them out to do things besides running, but like, I hope that becomes a thing. I hope the athleisure craze hits men as, as much as this is women. Um, They're uh, kind of like, like tracksmith. I think I, I can attest to their comfort too. I've worn yeah. Lululemon there. It's great. I, I agree. It's good stuff. It's good stuff. Like, yeah, give me more of that. I uh, love it. I feel like one other thing that um, that I I hope happens. I guess this is like not like a like a global trend, but just like something that I like pine for is uh, to like recapture the love of high school and college cross country mm. as an adult. You know, like we have a running club locally, which is a ton of fun. Um, but like, I want to race and I want a team again. You know what I mean? So like, I think cross country teams or like leagues like in the same way that people have basketball leagues and cornhole leagues and whatever like basketball league stuff like that yeah if there was a if there was like a cross maybe i should just start it i don't know if there was like a local cross country team for for older people you know like just people who aren't in high school basically like sign me up i would love it i think that's my favorite one so far that is brilliant um okay so I'm, I, I've been telling each guest, I have been workshopping the name for this next round. So if you can come up with a better name, I am uh, in the market for better branding here, but this is the lightning round. Are you ready? Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, what is the most recent bit of wisdom that you've come across that's resonated with you that you want to share with the audience? Cause they might benefit as well. Ultra, ultra running specifically, or just anything. Whatever has just made a huge impact on your life in any way, shape or form. Um, okay, this is an ultra thing, but actually I feel like applies more broadly it would be nasal breathing. Oh, tell me, tell me more. Give me another elevator pitch. Um, uh, okay. Leadville 2019, I crashed so hard. I crashed and burned so hard. It was so bad. And, uh, I was able to get to the, the halfway point where you can pick up a pacer and my coach was my pacer and he had me start doing this breathing technique. Uh, just three breaths in through my nose, out through the mouth. And like, it was kind of amazing in that it like very quickly kind of calmed me down. I was just sort of like, I was pissed. I was sort of frantic because it was so going, the race was going so badly. Yeah. Um, it calmed me down. Uh, it calmed my stomach down too, which allowed me to get a little bit of food in, allowed me to drink a little bit. And like, next thing you know, like we're off running the race and I'm feeling great again. And um, so in this most recent training blog, we were practicing nasal breathing on every single run. Like he would send me out on runs and just say like, close your mouth and don't open it the whole run. And, uh, I, it, it sort of slowed me down. It kind of centered me. Uh, I now apply it to other areas of my life. I try to do it actually when I'm working, there's a thing I learned about recently called email apnea, where when people are working, they actually breathe very inconsistently. And it actually looks if you, if you put a bunch of sensors on them, it looks like sleep apnea, but it's just because they're like uh, sort of halfway focused on whatever thing they're doing at their computer. Wow. So I try to like, I try to do it then. I try to do it just yeah. generally, like it's just very calming and relaxing. So I'm like big on nasal breathing lately. I found myself trying to nasal breathe while you were explaining that. That was cool. And <laughs> I, can, I can, early results are promising. Um, <laughs> Name one thing that your work at Superpath, your business, has taught you that has widespread applicability and you think everybody should know and incorporate into their own lives. Hmm. Everybody should incorporate into their own lives. Wow. Okay. Um, I guess it would probably be that uh, I think – I think just like sort of like a trend that we see, like we see this in the tech world and I guess it's probably everywhere too, just that like you grow up 
you get a job and you kind of work for the man. And I feel like we are seeing this shift away from that where individuals are sort of looking to create their own income. And like, this is like, maybe, maybe this feels common to me because I sort of like live in this little world. Mm. I hope it spreads though, because I'm, I'm just finding that it's very empowering to feel in control of your own destiny and your own earning ability. Mm. I find that to be very empowering. So like, as I have grown Superpath, I'm uh, like, don't get me wrong. It's been a huge challenge. Um, but I am also seeing that like, the long-term implications are very appealing, very interesting. You know what I mean? Like when I look at the, just as it means, it's not all about money, but like the salary that I, I, if I'd stayed on the trajectory I was on, like kind of what that would have looked like versus what it could potentially look like if this if goes well and I continue doing it for a long time mm. or they're very different. They're very different. Like the, the ceiling, there's a ceiling on the amount of money you earn working for someone else. And there's essentially no ceiling doing this i mean you got to do the work but like it, it's very motivating to me to feel like i've got skin in the game every single day working and that i am largely not entirely but largely in control of my own destiny i love that i think that's my favorite answer to a lightning round question so far um what book are you reading right now uh at the moment i'm reading a book called tombstone it's about um it's about Wyatt Earp and Doc Holliday uh, and this shootout that happened in 1870-something in Arizona. It's kind of interesting. It's like a his, sort of like a semi-fictionalized history book. Um, it's okay. I'm not like super into it. I did just finish a book, though, that was just like fantastic, which is called maybe more interesting. It's It was called, um, it was called I'm a Stranger Here Myself. It's by a oh. dude named Bill Bryson. Oh, yeah. Yeah, who's uh, in the woods. Yes. Yeah. Yes. He's a hilarious writer. His is, is just, I love his stuff. Uh, this book is, it's a, a series of columns he wrote for a, a paper after moving from the UK to the US. So he's in the US writing to UK readers about what life is like in America. And it's so funny. Uh, I, that was the book I was listening to actually like the week before Leadville, because it was just like, like so lighthearted and funny and whatever. Great book. Highly recommend it. I think a lot of my favorite, just not to go off on a tangent, but I think a lot of my favorite writers are uh, former journalists because they kind of appreciate the attention of the reader too. And they can just mm. tell a story in such a uh, entertaining way. Yeah. Um, okay. Uh, what is the best meal to cook when you're on a camping trip? Mm, I hate cooking on camping trips. <laughs> so uh, when we go camping, uh, it's like, you know, mountain house dehydrated meals, put some hot water in there and you're in business and uh, some cold beers. Um, I am a big fan of um, the breakfast skillets, which I would That's happily eat answer. three times a day. <laughs> yeah, those are good. And then some cold, some cold beers too, hopefully. Yeah. I don't know. I'm not big on camping or cooking much while I'm camping. Gotcha. Okay. Last lightning round question. Uh, let's see so you're based in Vail, Colorado. Um, let's say I'm swinging through Vail for two days in September. I need a short run and a long run within a 15 minute driving distance. Where am I going? What am mm, I doing? Man. Okay. Well, first try to come the third weekend of September because the Aspens will be peaking and it's just for a couple days it is just like heaven on earth. It's amazing. Uh, short run, probably my favorite short ish run in Vail is a trail called the Evercrisp trail which is like a rolling single track. It's about four miles each, each way, but like you run through Aspen groves that are so thick. You can only see like 20 feet 
Okay. And if you catch it in the third week of September, it's just going to be like golden and you're probably going to bump into a moose or a bear. It's just going to be awesome. Um, long run. I have really explored local long runs recently. Um, uh, and s- there's plenty of good ones. There was one in particular I did um, kind of linking a few trails together, but these are like famous Vale trails. Okay. You run up a trail called Two Elk, which is probably the most famous trail in Vale uh, and probably the most beautiful as well. It's just like absolutely stunning. Uh, you go there, you make a loop on a road, on a dirt road called Mill Creek Road. Uh, and then you hit a trail called the Grand Traverse, which uh, is uh, actually a, a very nice flat trail that goes through the, the, the back bowls of the ski area. Yeah. And then you descend a trail called um, Cougar Ridge, which is just like one of my favorite up or down trails. It's like super steep, tons of switchbacks, but also just like beautiful and well-maintained. And that would get you about 22 miles and probably 4,000 feet of climbing. And you'd be smoked, but it, it'd be just like the best day. Love it. Okay. I've, re- I've got that marked down and when I'm passing through, I'm doing those and I'll report back. And you better call me too. Oh, of course. course. I'll give you a tour. So, Hey, I I can't tell you how much I've enjoyed this conversation. Um, Before we go, I'd love to give you a chance to plug Superpath and where people can find you on social. Also, if you're willing, um, if there are any athletes listening to the podcast that have gotten inspired by your message and they kind of want to start building the blocks of their own brand and being independent of you know, these traditional sponsorship routes, what are some resources that they should go and check out um, mm. to get started? That's a great question. Um, wow. I don't, I'm trying to think of like, I can think of like examples of like things they should go look at, yeah. not necessarily like resources that would explain how to do it. Yeah. Um, I would say go check out Lenny Richitsky, Lenny's newsletter.com is his okay. website of like, kind of, to me, he's like sort of more so than anyone else, like figured out like the simplest way mm. to sell his subject matter expertise. Mm. Uh, so I think that's like be a very interesting kind of case study for people. Yeah. Um, so there's, there's that. I would honestly, like, I would, I don't know if you're an athlete, you want to talk about this call. I'd love to just like brainstorm. I'll, I'll, I'll help you do some brainstorming. Um, and I'm on Twitter mostly. That's sort of where I hang out. Jimmy yeah. underscore daily. Yeah. Um, the company I run is called Superpath. Superpath.co is our website. we got a bunch of cool stuff happening over there. Um, so, and it's free to join. So if you're just, and like some, a lot of people join just to be like, I just want to poke around and see what's going on. So if that's you, like, yeah, poke around, see what's going on. Shoot me a message in our Slack channel. I'd love to say hi. Right on. Well, uh, I've been fired up by this conversation. I'm sure our listeners have too. Um, maybe we'll do a round two. Hopefully we'll do a round two sometime because there's a lot more we can unpack in this conversation. And uh, this has been great. So thank you so much. Yeah. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. Until next time. Okay. That's a wrap. What'd you think? There were a couple themes I really liked in that episode. The first, economic trends that are influencing our sport, particularly, that is a tough word to pronounce, the shift away from getting a traditional nine to five job towards this creator-based lifestyle of discovering ways to generate your own income. What a paradigm shift. And I would encourage listeners to be on the lookout from here on out for ways that they can apply their unique skill sets to some sort of entrepreneurial endeavor in our sport. And maybe even the non-obvious ones, like finding ways to look past, you know, being a race director, a retail store owner, coach, like 
those are all great. But like, honestly, like get creative. I mean, there's so much opportunity in our sport. Uh, Jimmy used the phrase, quote, awakening to your earning potential, end quote, to describe it. And I really liked that. I also liked how he broadly stated that earning potential, you know, really for anyone involved in this sport hasn't nearly been tapped into yet, which, you know, it's a nice counter argument to what Dylan said in an earlier episode um, with how, you know, no one's getting rich off the sport. And in terms of a, a pipeline to develop it, you know, that, that economy for our sport, it's, it's not really there yet. So very interesting. The second theme uh, continues on this creator economy thread and uh, it's really how innovation in our sport doesn't just have to come from the top with pro athletes. If you are a runner in this sport, you just have to be passionate. You got to be creative. You got to have ideas. And, you know, maybe you're skilled or, you know, quote unquote, elite in some other area that brings value to the community. There's this famous line from a guy named Naval Ravikant in Silicon Valley. And he says, quote, escape competition through authenticity. No one is better at being you than you, end quote. And yeah, I believe everyone has a superpower. You know, we are all uniquely qualified to deliver some sort of, I will use the word tremendous value to this community. Um, and if ultra running is what gets you inspired every day, I would encourage you very strongly to meditate on ways to channel it here because uh, we need you. The third thread, um, the talk on Strava was really interesting and really Jimmy's idea that we don't need more tech and data from Strava's newsfeed we need more connection between people. We need more community. And I think Jimmy went as far as saying that, you know, it could be the case that Strava's financial livelihood may very well be tied to how well they facilitate that value in the near future. So um, I'm a Strava fan. Uh, I, do, I do tend to agree with what he's saying there and um, I'll be watching. The fourth thread was this idea of a hobbyist Slack group um, with structured discussions on specific topics like nutrition and injury prevention and workouts and races, you know, in general, just this place on the internet to connect and learn and, and you know, maybe even get career advice and job opportunities within our sport and the uh, outdoor industry at large. And yeah, how cool. Um, so that's that. Thanks again for listening. We have uh, four or five episodes coming your way next week. You heard that right four or five. The stoke is high right now. I'm calling it the Chamonix effect. And uh, that's what I operate on. Strike while the iron's hot. So yeah, talk soon. And in the meantime, stay on the single track. I'm your host, Finn Melanson. Always a pleasure.